Hello everyone and welcome to the very 96th episode of Octothorpe, a podcast for science fiction and science fiction fandom, which is coming to you on the 9th of November 2023. I'm John Coxon. I'm Alison Scott. And I'm Liz Batty. So Chengdu was a shower, or was it? But it's definitely past tense, because I think today is the last day, or is tomorrow the last day? By the time this comes out, it's past tense. Yeah, it's gone. It's closing now. There were lots of very shiny things. Yes, I think I think if it was there, it was probably quite shiny if you were there. Mm. I get the impression the online aspects were kind of hard to interact with from other people that went past on my, like, socials. I've heard nothing good about them. No, okay. I've heard it's like, oh, they've they basically learnt nothing from all of the experience of doing things online. That's sad. That is, you know... I mean, yeah. Did either of you do any online stuff or...? No. I tried. Oh, Liz. Liz tried. Did you? What happened? It didn't work. (laughs) So you, like... I I should say that my home internet is broken, so I'm on my phone internet at the moment. But my phone internet is really pretty fast, as in we are doing a a podcast through it. And so you, you log in and you, like, pick a little avatar and you should be able to wander around in a full 3D environment and so on. And I did that a bit. And then I tried to teleport to the live programming room. And I did teleport to live programming room where you get your little avatar sitting in a little chair. But then I couldn't actually get any programming to load. So <laughs> I gave up. That's very consistent with reports I've seen. I mean, some people have had it working audio only. Some people have had it working audio and video a bit. Um, but mostly we've not really had any um, output from the work on. It's, it's just been reports. We've had reports and the reports have been, well, you know, this is amazing. I mean, the reports have been amazing. I get the feeling that they only did the online stuff because they kind of felt they should have an online component because we have for the last few work ons and people generally like it if they can get something out of work ons that they attend remotely. But I think they should really just have ditched it all maybe just stream the opening and closing and the Hugos on some platform and and just not bother with the rest of it because there wasn't a lot of stuff going on. Some of it was kind of panels being attended remotely by people doing them remotely, which I kind of didn't really see the point of. And, and there wasn't a lot of like items that were interactive between the people online and the people in the audience, which is what kind of you want to do to bring people in. So I think, honestly, they should have just scrapped it and not bothered. I mean, they sold attendance to it for like $10 or something, or $2 for first world com. $10 if it's not your first world com. So it, it didn't cost people a lot, so they haven't lost a lot by signing up to it. Like if it was a con where I paid $60 for a virtual membership, then I'd be annoyed. But it's kind of like, well, I may as well have a go and it didn't really work. So I think they should have just skipped it and had a great time in person, which it looks like everyone did. Fair. So I can only go by reports of what's coming out. File 770 has uh, a lot of stuff. I think uh, our occasional uh, correspondent, uh, Sats Culture, has been collecting a lot of stuff together. But honestly, like the in-person experience looks like it's an amazing spectacle. And I am kind of sad I wasn't there. Yes. And I, will, I just want to say one thing, which is um, thank you to um, one man cultural liaison, Earth's Culture, for basically rendering the entire thing interpretable to Western audiences. Like, I think without his work, 
like i would have so much less idea of what was happening and he has been doing a lot so i i just wanted to call him out and i will say i believe he is eligible for best fan writer in the next hugo awards and i for one should be very glad to see him uh, as a finalist because i think he probably has earned it Ooh, there are a set of official program photos Ooh. and instead of just posting the links in file 770 They've posted the QR codes, but not actually said, well, these are the links. Ah. Yeah, I think you're from a less QR code using society. But yeah, I mean, the the pictures look amazing. The venue. The venue, which was, yeah, yeah, the venue was amazing. The Hugos themselves look amazing. I'm sad I don't have a panda Hugo. The Hugos are beautiful. Yeah, I would have liked a panda Hugo. That would be good. They released just a few days before the um convention a promotional video which i kind of linked to and was like well what is this for and people were like well you know they want to do nice things i'm like well you know it's it's not a 2d video it's a 3d it's a piece of 3d animation that's just taken professionals hundreds of hours to do you know what's going on here it does it does seem like a lot of effort has been put into Chengdu, and it does surprise me a little bit I'm not sure I would have deployed the hours where they have deployed the hours, which is not a criticism so much as an observation. Like, clearly, they had a vision, and they have... It seems like they have executed on that vision. But also, we we, we don't, in a way, know what they got offered. We don't know if they said, right, we've got a chunk of money, and, and you'll, you'll get... This is spoilers for future episodes, but you will get us at some point discussing a little bit more about, you know, how you best spend your money and your people points at conventions. Spoiler for future episode. We don't know if they had a ton of money and they were like, shall we put a bunch of this money into making a really uh, attractive promotional video? Or if someone came to them and said, hey, we would love to sponsor your convention by doing you a really great promotional video. And they were like, yeah, fantastic. Yeah, no, that is true. That is that is fair. Yes, it probably is something like that. And, you know, I'm sure it was played at the con. It was, I'm sure it was played at the con and then you get this kind of like great thing for the audience. Yeah, it was just in English. I mean, there may be another version of it. Yeah, it had very little dialogue at all. It's not like it was the one with a voiceover. You could really easily change that one entirely to Chinese language. Yeah, that's probably right. I'm sure it would have been amazing to have been there. And of course, had I not been on my guff trip, I probably would have been there. So, you know, it's kind of weird. There's so many photos of like school children as well and young people and, and like kids sitting next to panda photos. Oh, so many young people. I just can't help but find that just really cool. It's not what we see at Worldcons usually. And also Nicholas White signing autographs. <laughs> well, they probably thought she was a science fiction author. Maybe, I don't know. It's just, it's very good. I got asked for an autograph once and I found that even funnier. I haven't found. I haven't seen pictures of Nicholas signing autographs. He posted them on the internet oh, somewhere. Yeah. I think he's posted a picture of one child who posts... got his autograph. So we don't know if it's plural. But I think that's just going to be. There's not that many people there from outside China, and so some children are collecting the autographs of every single one, like children who go around collecting a million ribbons. I will put a link in the show notes, listeners, so you can um, you can see all of this. Yeah, I mean, how many people are there from outside China? Because some of the people I was expecting to be are not. I don't know. I genuinely don't. It's it's hard to tell. I mean, I could list them off, but I reckon I've seen reports from maybe 30 or 40, some of whom are like invited guests on the programme, some of whom are just fans who are there. I've seen reports of some fans like not from the US or UK kind of going there. There's an Indonesian fan there, I think. 
There's people there from the Uganda bid. I think there were people there from Saudi Arabia as well. Plus the head of Weta Workshop. He's gone all the way from New Zealand. <laughs> yeah, he probably didn't have quite such a tight timetable in New Zealand as me. I mean, that, that seems bizarre, but... We know Gillian Pollack did a, uh online programme item, I believe, uh, for Chengdu. And I don't know, I assume other people did as well. I assume it wasn't just Gillian, although, you know, yeah, that would work. If you are listening and you did, please write in, because it would be very fascinating to hear how those went from the horse's mouth. Yeah. What, what happened to Lukienko in the end? Was he just kind of there and hanging out? No one knows. Don't think he's there. Like, it, he seems to have been massively downplayed. And yeah, I'm not sure if he is there. But I don't understand why you don't invite him without announcing you don't invited him. I mean, it may just have been logistical difficulties and actually maybe he just literally could not attend because he cannot get there. I watched some of the like replay videos of the opening ceremony, which are on YouTube, which are worth watching. And I think there is one where they list all the guests and he's not listed as a guest. So maybe they just decided they had to drop him because he couldn't make it. Maybe, maybe. It, yeah, fair enough. Very strange. Or maybe not very strange, but notable. So the other thing that people have been posting pictures of is pandas, because they've gone to see pandas while they're in Chengdu, which is quite good. And don't you, aren't you really looking forward to the pictures of everyone who goes to Glasgow and takes pictures with the haggises in the same way? Oh, that'll be adorable. I mean, they have to do a bit of work because they actually have to go up to Loch Ness and then they have to go and hide out on the mountain with their bait. Yep, yep, yep. I'm sure some of them will be up for that because it's not like pandas in like a, the pandas are in a big like a preservation thing, whereas when they go to Glasgow, they're going to have to go out at twilight. Into the wild, yeah. To get that, yeah, to get pictures of wild haggis, so it's a bit harder. Because they're crepuscular. They are crepuscular. But also, I'm just looking forward to the Hugo Award rocket base having the tiny haggis mascot on it. Okay, so so you heard it here first. It's gonna be it's gonna be a haggis, but because haggises have two long legs and two short legs, everyone knows this, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So haggis is a lot. They're designed for mountains, so they have two long legs and two short legs. So so the the hot because the base is going to be shaped like a haggis. The the Hugo is going to be offered a jaunty angle because because the haggis is a bit lopsided. But it'll be fine if you put your Hugo on a mountain when you win it. Or maybe the haggis is running around the Hugo. Or scaling the Hugo. They could have like a series of... Esther, can you write in and let us know when the base uh, design competition starts? Because I believe we're going to want to submit one, yeah. Because we've got, we've got one, we've got one, we've got a plan. <laughs> little toddler, little toddler haggises going up the side of the Hugo with crampons. Do we want to talk about the business meeting? What happened at the business? Hang on. No, 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 yeah, so so there were tons of amendments. We don't actually have a report on everything that passed and failed, so it's I'm going to have to wait to give a full report. But according to File 770, 
they did pass a few things. They ratified the ones that were up for amendment, which is the 0% solution and best game in interactive work, apparently. So, yes, we'll have a best game, Hugo, from next year. Good. And also, we will no longer no award a category if it's under 25% of the total, which I think we were in favour of. Yes, please. So that's pretty good. Was there anything that wasn't ratified, Liz? So those are the only things that were up for ratification, but then there were things that were like this year's business. So there was nothing that passed at Chicago that needed ratifying that wasn't ratified? I don't think so, because there were only two things that were passed on and they both passed. Nice. Okay, cool, cool, cool. And then there was a bunch of new business, some of which appears to have passed on, some of which uh, I don't know yet because we don't have a report from the appropriate business meeting, so we probably will before then. But it looks like they've referred to committee, the one about um, whether you should be paid for fan casts or whether that should disqualify you, basically. What, what is clear is that there's a, a lot of people who have taken the opportunity to propose constitutional amendments because the WorldCon is in China and this is their year when they can propose constitutional amendments. And some of them, I think, do make sense. And some of them, it kind of depends. Do you think that fancasts should be analogous to fanzine or do you think fancasts should be analogous to kind of both fanzine and semi-prozine in terms of its limits of professionality? Yeah, I, I think the wuss nerds would say that this has been gone over endlessly including at the point where the category was developed yeah but i don't think you can blame people for saying it's weird that fancast is different from fanzine and we should make them the same when kind of all the debate took place 10 years ago at a business meeting they weren't at yeah one and also i think this has largely been answered by the fact that escape pod podcastle and writing excuses all got nominated in categories that weren't fancast and so my argument would be that the way the hugos have been treating these is very much in the sense of fancast is the equivalent of fanzine and if you are doing a semi-prozine in audio it goes in semi-prozine and if you are doing a professional podcast it goes in best related work so, so my my gut feeling is we should respect the voters and codify that in the constitution so that it continues forward and I think that is usually my opinion about the Hugos. I'm 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 usually of the opinion that if that if 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 the voters are treating something in a certain way, it should be codified. With the very very strong exception that I don't think conventions belong on Hugo finalist lists, and I would be quite happy if that never happened ever again. Yeah, well, it looks like that runs a committee for more discussion, which actually feels like a sensible way to do it because. I think there is some discussion to be had there. And also, you don't want to make it so strict that if your podcast has, you know, a Patreon that gets you a couple of hundred quid a year that you spend on hosting and microphones, like that shouldn't automatically make you a semi-professional podcast. But as it's written, maybe you can't get any money at all. Anyway, that is up for discussion. They failed uh, to pass one for best young writer. This was a proposal for a basically... Good a new category for writers aged between 15 and 24, which hasn't been passed on. Firstly, that's just ageist, because people can come to writing later in life, and that is okay. And secondly, we have an award for new writers already. We have astounding. Yes, we have an award for new writers, and this was specifically, you know, the person who proposed it said it's to try and encourage young writers in their creative endeavours, which is fine, but they'll do it some other way that's not a Hugo. And then the other thing that passed is there were two 
basically conflicting proposals for what you put on site selection ballots. And they have passed a slightly more restrictive one, which basically means you have to have now a postal address. And it's mandatory. And if you don't put a postal address in, it may be a no preference ballot. Interesting. It doesn't explicitly say what a postal address in. The other amendment said it should be address, including at least country and province slash state, but then otherwise left it as is, so you wouldn't have to put a full post address in. So I interpret this to mean that site selection will now require people to put their full street address on the site selection ballot, which is the situation that came up a couple of years ago during the vote for Chengdu. I don't know if I have a... I think about whether I have a strong opinion about that. It just seems like fiddling, but eh. I have a fairly strong opinion on it, which is that it's it's a parochial... It, it just doesn't take account of the way the world works. Lots and lots of people don't have addresses that are street addresses, including, incidentally, many people who are traditional voters of for the Worldcon because they have post office boxes. And they aren't going to put their post office boxes. They're just thinking that their post office box is a street address, which is not. They mean postal... They think postal address. Well, it doesn't specify, doesn't specify what a postal address is, so... I assume it can mean wherever you would get post. Yeah, so the point is that in lots of places, you don't get post in the way that you think about it if you come from a Western, uh, a world in which post is delivered in the way it's delivered in Britain, right? Yeah. No, 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 yeah, yeah, no, I appreciate that. Lots of places deliver post to your name and uh, Bertie at the village shop, essentially. But then that would count on the ballot. Yeah, potentially that would count as a postal address. I think that's an argument you can have later. Yeah, 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 maybe. It would count as a postal address rather than a street address. So so some of these things have asked for a street address. And that is hard because lots of places don't have those. Lots of people don't have those. It did need clarifying because it just said address. So it hadn't been updated since we invented the email address, basically. And this had never previously been a problem and it has come up as a problem. So I agree with clarifying it. But I guess... You know, maybe they need to include what is an example of a valid postal address. And I, so I felt like the one that was just like, at least put like your country and province in, maybe was clarifying that better because then you could say, okay, it's got a province and a country, it's an address. So I don't know if this will now basically leave it to site selection administrators to determine what counts as a valid postal address and potentially leave us with more problems. But that's the one that passed. So there we go. I will go on record as saying that if a site selection administrator disqualified a ballot for a postal address that is a completely like cromulent, like one of those in whatever country the voter is from, I'd be very angry. So we're like, if you know, if if you are in a situation where your postal address is effectively give it to Bertie at the village shop, and the site selection administrator got angry, I'd be like, well, that's just parochial nonsense. We'll see. I guess my point is, it doesn't seem like it's solving a problem. It just seems like it's being driven by the wussiest nerds' need to categorise, and and I I'm not wholly behind constitutional amendments that i feel are being driven primarily by a desire for neatness rather than a desire to actually address problems which may but that that is a take i guess which you go ahead and have your takes john oh thanks liz i'm happy about best game and i can nominate things for best game have you seen don eastlake's report on the main business meeting from the worstless business meeting facebook group no, I don't really go on Facebook very often. No, I'm not on the Worst for Space business meeting group. Right, so that included independent films was moved up the agenda, amended to add sunsetting and passed. Oh, God. 
Yes. Yes, this is what I was getting to, which is the independent film one moved up and was passed. So if that is ratified next year, that adds two new Hugos. I will be going to the Glasgow business meeting and voting against ratification. Yeah, don't. it's got zero chance of getting ratified, I would have thought. I think there'd be actual pitchforks. In theory, I don't mind the idea of a category that tries to represent things that are not massive TV shows and massive blockbuster movies. And like, indeed, I have some sympathy for that. But I think the way you do it is, firstly, you run a trial category. So you ask Glasgow, please could you use your special Hugo to run this category and see if it works? Because putting a Hugo on the ballot without the test is insane. And then secondly... You you consult with the community. You don't just spring it on people. Like I I I I am not against the category in principle, but even I will be voting against ratification because like, and I'll be encouraging lots of people to come with me because I'm like, you don't know if this is going to work. Like the game Hugo was carefully crafted over years, and like that's on the ballot, and that's how it should be done. Sorry, but also this is a this is a this carves independent because we have a general rule of not having. One thing eligible for multiple Hugos is carves independent films out of the Hugos, out of the best dramatic presentation long form. Um, so it's it's incredibly controversial in the same way that the Lodestar was. And it's going to take, if you want to have something like that, it's going to take decades to get it sorted, or at least a decade. And also, everything everywhere all at once is one. You know, it's it's definitely definitely on the indie side it happened to be a massive blockbuster but there was no ex no reason to expect that to be the case how do they define independent film liz i don't think this is particularly worth discussing how they define it but what i would say is we have complained a lot on this podcast about the business meeting and how difficult it is to figure out what's going on at the business meeting and how difficult it is to work out what's going on so when this amendment is brought by two Chinese members of the Worldcon. A Worldcon which seems to have had a ton of stuff about like independent films and small films and the film industry generally. It may just be they thought the best way to get people discussing it was to put it forward as an amendment. It's hard to know kind of from the outside exactly how much work went into best game. Yeah, no, that is fair. To get it up there and how many years that took. So I'm going to give them a pass. I mean, I think they're going to probably fail to be ratified I just think it's people saying, well, this are things we're interested in. Can we have an award for them? And if if you don't you know, spend a lot of time reading business meeting minutes, then probably you think that's the best way to get them get them on the agenda. Because maybe it is in other places, but it turns out for, for Wispers, the best way to get something passed is basically now to build, you know, spend a lot of time building support before you actually bring it to the business meeting, which is not immediately obvious if it's just like, would you like to pro some business? Send us an email. I'm not opposed to the two people who brought the amendment. I will say, and and there was a little baby-faced coxswain who brought an amendment to Chicago 2012, Chicon 7, with Emily Arrow, I think, supporting a best very short uh, category for dramatic presentation because we wanted to see more short films uh, get Hugos. So, like, I, I genuinely am sympathetic to this. The thing that annoys me is that they passed it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, I'm not disappointed with the two uh, proposers. I'm disappointed with literally everyone else in the room. There weren't that many people in the room, maybe 40. And that might have included quite a few Chinese fans who had never had any previous experience with the business meeting. Well, and this opens up a really big can of worms, right? Which is like, if the Chinese fans got one thing through, and I, a Western fan, I'm like, boo, is that good of me? But equally, I really don't think this is a category we need. 
But also, this is why you ought to have online presence at your business meetings so you do, in fact, have a permanent group of people who are interested in this and come in from everywhere. So, hmm. Maybe this is the best argument for actually sorting that problem out, which is, do you want Best Independent Film Hugos? Because that's how you get Best Independent Film Hugos. Is it called Best Independent Film or is it called Best Dramatic Presentation Independent? It's called Best Independent Short Film Award and Best Independent Feature Film Award. There are two. Oh, yeah, there's two. (laughs) Soon there'll be more Hugos than Kakapos. Now I'm transitioned to thinking this is very funny. And if we can get it ratified, that increases the number of Hugos by three in three years. And and that would be, that would really, like, if, 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 if that makes people angry enough to sort out online participation for the business meeting, which I repeat, should be a doddle, uh, then we can just do this and that'll be good. They're trying to actively prevent it. They're actually going further in the other direction. So, you know. Everyone go to the business meeting at Glasgow and propose to ratify. Have you reversed your position completely in the last five minutes of the podcast? Because if you have... Yes, because if ratifying these two makes the nerds angry enough that they finally open up the business meeting online, that is a concrete win. No, they won't. No, no, they won't. And then and then we just propose ever more bizarre things when the Worldcon's not in North America. Best fresh la- French language film. <laughs> yes, when it's in Nice, best film involving a man who surfs and lives in a landlocked city. Yeah, okay. Anyway, thank you for bringing this to our attention, Liz. This is sparking lots of joy. Convention time bracket was amended to replace preferably between 1st August and 30th of September and passed as amended. That's just to say no more discons, isn't it? No more Christmas worldcons. Well, I think Discon would have been all right because it's not quite that late. But yeah, it's all kind of like it's it's nitpicking things and clearing them up. Yeah. I mean, there are other things that passed, some of which are quite sensible. Basically, the thing about works appearing in a language other than English being eligible um, in the year it's first issued in English has been tweaked because it makes more sense to not say English, but say the language of the convention that year, because otherwise you kind of block. I think this would actually have blocked some things which came out in translation, but came out, you know, in 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 China in a particular year. Like there was some edge case that they wanted to fix. And it sounds like this went to committee and they did something sensible and, the, and they fixed it. So we'll go with that. Does it basically add the language of the hosting convention and English, or is it? does it replace English with the language of the hosting convention? It replaces English with the language of the countries of the administering and previous year Worldcom. In the year it is, it is tra- translated to a main language of the country of the administering and previous year Worldcom. I think it covers things that were published in English and then translated into Chinese, not being eligible in the year they could be read by them. What, what it means is, so like, obviously this year it would have been fine the thing I'm about to say would have been fine because it went Chicago, Chengdu, so that's English and Chinese. But what it would mean is that if last year it had been held in France and this year it was in Chengdu, any Chinese language science fiction that had only just been translated into English wouldn't have been eligible. And that feels like a shame to me because a lot of the voters are still reading in English. And so I, I do think that building in support for works which are translated into English in the year of the Worldcon does make more international works eligible for the award, which I think probably benefits international science fiction more than removing that does. So from the perspective of having more international stuff on the ballot, I kind of wish they hadn't gone that way. But maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. It's a very nitpicky point because it will... I think I haven't, I think I haven't quite 
got my head around this because it changes the language requirement, but also changes the works originally published outside the USA to countries of the administering and previously world cons again. I think I'll need to really sit down and think about it. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, because that means that, like, if something had been published in, if it had been London, then Chengdu, well, and it's about to be Chengdu, then Glasgow. So anything that's published in the US for the first time in 2024 won't be eligible and it would used to have been if this mm. would if this had already been ratified. So I I think this is a well-meaning amendment that on the face of it seeks to make the constitution less parochial but I think will probably actually make it more parochial by by basically meaning that uh, American fans can't vote for things that haven't made it big in America yet. I think it's designing language for the Worldcon we wish we had rather than the Worldcon we actually have. And I think that's very laudable, but... This all still just gives stuff an extra year of eligibility. It doesn't mean it's not eligible. It just gives it an extra year based on slightly different criteria, right? I think maybe we should hold this over and really I need to think about the different, you know, this was published here in this year in this situation. And we can discuss the ASFIC another time. ASFIC can fuck off. That's my opinion. Yeah, I just like the idea of it being called Osfic. Well, because I do want to say, I think Espana is right about Nasfic. It's time for Espana's opinion. Da 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 da. Jingle. Espana has always pointed out the reason that Nasfic is codified in the Wasp's Constitution is that if the Worldcon is held outside the US, and that means that the main convention, which is often held in the US, is not in the US, that incentivizes US fans to vote against foreign Worldcons. And the reason the NASFIC is in the Constitution is so that you don't have an incentive for North American fans to vote against non-North American Worldcons. And so that provision is there mostly to encourage there to be Worldcons outside North America, which is another example of how what looks like, on the face of it, a parochial provision in the Constitution is actually acting to try to make the organisation less parochial. If we had like a truly egalitarian society, we wouldn't need any of our affirmative action policies because all of the jobs would go to the best people regardless of like gender or ethnicity. But because we do not have a truly egalitarian society, we have to have lots of very tedious things that like try and make it more egalitarian. Yeah, so you're saying that American fandom is even more parochial than we had thought. No, I'm I'm saying I'm saying that you need to incentivize the behavior you want to see in your society. I think not incentivizing that and crossing your fingers you get it anyway is a bad way of going about these things. No, that's often fine, but I mean if you're saying that the reason the NASFIC is encoded is embodied in the constitution is to discourage American fans from voting against foreign world cons which they would do otherwise um that's basically saying oh we accept that american fandom is utterly xenophobic and we've had to do something to deal with it no that's that's bullshit you told me you weren't going to see janelle monet in manchester because you couldn't be asked to go to manchester and she should play in london thank you it is exactly the same thing people tend to go to things they can go to and voting for the thing you can go to or the thing you can't i don't think it's unfair to vote for the thing you can go to for much the same way that if there's like well i mean firstly there's vanished been vanishingly few easter cons in wales or northern ireland which is partly due to venues but also partly because they're a bugger for most easter con attendees to get to it's 100% to do with venues and 0% to do, you know, lots of people have tried this multiple times. It is not 100 to 0, I will guarantee you that. I, so put it this way, if they ever said, let's have the Eastercon at the um, at that hotel that Novacon uses, I would vote against it because I don't want to have to go to Buxton because it's ages away. And I don't think that makes me xenophobic. I think 
incentivizing the behaviors you want to see is sensible. Do we think the NASFIC really incentivizes people anymore? Well, no, I don't think it does now, but I definitely think there was a period for a long time where that did work in the right way and so it might be time now to get rid of it but i think a lot of the discussion about this ignores ignores how things used to be and how they have changed for the better um but i do i do think having metrics like the constitution has always sought to make sure that the constitution can't just stay so sorry that the convention can't just stay in one place and that it has to travel and i think the nasfic is part of that attempt to force it to travel and so like I'm not saying it should still be there because I, I do think at this point the Worldcon has become properly. I mean, maybe this is just my bias as like someone who's only come into it sort of in the last sort of 15 years. But it, it seems to me like it's much more international than it was like in the past. And I, I would be surprised if that went backwards again. And I think it's probably slightly more fragile than you think. I think the cost of getting around the world is going to shock a lot of people over the next few years. Glasgow is going to be a real wake up call. Well, that's the other thing, right? As as travel was getting cheaper, I think the NASFIC became less and less relevant. But now now travel is getting more expensive again post-pandemic. I do wonder whether you're right. And it's often very, it's very alluring, I think, to think, oh, I've won the argument. I can stop worrying about this. But so in general, I don't support the WUSFUS implementing ASFIC because I think it's cultural appropriation that wouldn't do anything to help the world con travel worldwide, which is... But that, that's to say that's not in contrast with my opinion that likes the fact the NASFIC is in the Constitution. And I, I actually do think it might be important that the NASFIC is properly codified in the Constitution, dis- despite the fact it looks parochial. And, and that's why I have that opinion about the previous thing Liz was talking about, was because I also wonder whether that's something that looks parochial, but removing it will actually work in the opposite way to what people think it will. And this is something that worries me sometimes when we have these these discussions, I think. Hopefully that's all useful and reasonable insight and not just the wafflings of a lunatic. Could go either way, though, couldn't it? <laughs> I think we should do ASFIC a different time. ASFIC! ASFIC, NASFIC and ASFIC. Also, it's got changed. So I think we should yeah, probably hold over some of this until we can properly discuss it. So it might have been a bit of a waste of time. But just because I think there'll be a full business meeting report. And ASFIC is now like also generalised to regional stuff, not just Asia anymore. But I can see why, again, I can see why someone submitted it. You're like, why is there a NASFIC? Why does a NASFIC exist? Why don't we have one? No, yeah, no, exactly. Exactly. Yeah, I, I think that's right. I, I think this could be a long discussion. Yes. We we will come back to this on future episodes, listeners. If you have opinions, write in. Yeah. Um, somebody, something else that people have said on about our podcast is that we talk about Worldcons way too much. So that's the thing. We did just have one. Well, I mean, it's difficult. It's, I mean, that's a difficult criticism to respond to the episode <laughs> that happened right after Worldcon, isn't it? We haven't even done Hugo stats yet because we don't have the Hugo stats yet. Yeah, I did, we can't do Hugo stats. The one thing I did want to do that we haven't mentioned yet is site selection voting because there were 168 ballots cast. Wow. Yeah. That's not many. It's not. No, it was uncontested, so no one could be bothered. When also, it was really hard to vote. That's not why. It was, it was no harder than usual to vote from my... Well, it was harder than... It was harder than in the years that they've managed to implement online voting, but it wasn't... I'd say it was easier than the Helsinki vote, which is only about, what, eight years ago? That was hard vote. Yeah, but there was reason to vote for Helsinki because it was, yeah, multi-way contested. 
I guess what I mean is it's an uncontested year and it was harder to vote than it could have been. And I Slightly harder than it could have been. PDF, scribble in a PDF, send it to Helen Montgomery, I think was the way you think, who then printed off your ballot without looking at it and put it in a sealed envelope and took it to China with her. Um, yes, and, and the face palm emoji you have just demonstrated is how I feel about this. Oh, no, no, that wasn't a facepalm. That was me pretending to be Helen, covering my eyes as I was printing out the ballots. <laughs> don't look, don't look, don't look. But in fact, I voted. I'm very happy to say that I voted for Seattle. What do you think it was, though, Alison? Seattle was not offering a discount for voters, which is why the vote count is so low. Had I known that, I would not have voted. So there we go. I feel like I put a lot of work into voting that was not a lot of work, but slightly more work than maybe necessary into voting <laughs> that that wasn't really very much rewarded. And they did it because they thought that generating a vote would involve giving people's details to China and some people didn't want to do that. So they made a direct decision, I believe, not to have a voting discount. You couldn't because you had to get a membership in Chengdu to buy the site selection token. But I wonder whether they could have solved it by saying we'll offer a voting discount or a pre-support discount. I wonder if they could have sold like some pre-support tier which converted into a supporting membership in the same way that a vote would have done. Because the thing is, I guess the reason I say that is that they're not, they don't have much money then. Like what's 185 times 20? Like I, I think if I was them, I would have thought quite carefully about how I was going to replace that revenue stream because it doesn't seem like an obviously good thing to incentivize people not to join <laughs> so i might have thought about how to incentivize people to join but you know i've never run a world con so who knows well people will join now right and also i'm a sucker who voted oh i did not vote i think people will join now but also there have been issues with getting like pre-supports and money around to because of tend to get them into Chengdu right and they had to set up like a, a holding company in the US so it may be that all the finances are just weird and also that some pass along that couldn't get to Chengdu because of logistical issues may now pass on to Glasgow and Seattle. It might be that they know what they're doing. And they've got new branding which is no longer which is no longer riffing off a major corporation's logo that's probably a good a good thing. Yeah I mean I did like the it was cute. <laughs> Yeah, I will say uh, it's time for it's time for Hispania's opinion. Da 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 da, da jingle. Um, so Hispania was happy about the guests of honor. She says Bridget Landry is a good value space and cosplay guest and is a regular at Los Cons. And Alexander James Adams is a bacon uh, was a bacon guest and is a noted filker apparently. So she is very excited for both of those people. Um, uh, the other. Guests are Nissy Shawl, Kay Tempest Bradford, Donato Giancola and Martha Wells. So it does seem like a good, seems like a good ballot, something for everyone, perhaps. Um, I'm excited about, you know, quite a few of those guests. So hurrah. And I might go to Seattle because I like Seattle, although I might also not because I might be poor. We'll see. And now it's time for picks. Uh, it's been ages since we did our last picks. Uh, I think you'll both agree. So I am going to pick. I'm going to pick a movie. I'm going to pick the movie 
Halloween by John Carpenter, which uh, I watched for the first time. So this is a slightly de- delayed, belated pick, but this is the first episode post-Halloween, uh, so it seems relevant. Uh, Ispania and I have a rule that during October, all of the films we watch have to be horror. So we went to watch Friday the 13th on Friday the 13th, which was great, and then we watched Halloween. Halloween is amazing. A young Jamie Lee Curtis absolutely smashing it out of the park uh, in every way. Genuinely scary and unsettling just yeah really enjoyed it and i also enjoyed the trivia that Hispania delighted in telling me that the mask that the main antagonist wears uh, was basically the cheapest mask they could find at the local um store spray painted white and it turns out the cheapest mask was a william shatner mask so under his terrifying visage there is a terrifying visage <laughs> Good, good movie. Uh, obviously not if you don't like horror, but John Carpenter, um, just obviously a fantastic director and uh, a really good, really good film. We watched it on Lionsgate Plus. Oh God, is that another thing to subscribe to? Yeah, we only subscribed for a month. We tried watching it on Pluto TV, but firstly it had adverts, and I don't know if you know this, adverts detract from the sense of terror in a horror movie like you know premiere in and it's like that is quite terrifying but not in the same way uh and also there were no subtitles and uh and i really i was willing to pay five pounds to be able to work out what the dialogue was uh because for those who don't listen regularly i am slightly deaf i like a good premiere in i put one for glasgow no premiere ins are good it was a cheap joke i am also in a premiere in for glasgow cheap joke at the expense of premiere in Aren't we all in the same Premier Inn for Glasgow? I think the, the Premier Inn at Glasgow, yeah. Basically, Liz, Alison and I have a rule that whatever hotel we stay in for a convention must match the Octothorpe logo. And so we are all obviously in the Premier Inn, which is naturally purple. How did the Hyatt Regency, how did the Hyatt Regency match the Octothorpe logo? I spray painted it purple. Oh, that explains it. Don't worry, boo, I got you. John is just making a cheap joke cheap joke lots of them today um liz what's your pick my pick is a tv show that i largely watched on a plane just breaking alison's rule of watching things on planes uh it is poker face starring natasha leon and created by natasha leon and ryan johnson of you know glass onion fame etc um it's really good what streaming service is it on i was on it was on a plane (laughs) I will do a Google, but I think the answer might be Yar. <laughs> I've really wanted to watch this because Nat- Natasha Leon is like a murder mystery series about a woman who has a psychic ability, right, Liz? Yeah, she knows when people are lying. Nice. Which is great, but she's essentially like she's not operating, you know, as a law enforcement officer or anything. She's basically operating. Uh, I don't want to give too many spoilers, but basically she's operating outside this and trying not to attract the attention of law enforcement. And also it's really clever with how it uses a gift because she can't literally go up to people a lot of the time and say, oh, you're lying. Or, you know, sometimes she picks people up because they've done like a trivial lie. And sometimes people do trivial white lies for all kinds of reasons. But sometimes they're doing a trivial lie because it's actually covering up that they committed a murder. And it spends a lot of time in each episode kind of setting up the other characters in the show around Natasha Leon. So she's basically in a different place every week and it's setting up kind of that, that week's cast and, and murderer and murder victim and, and supporting cast. And they're all really great and there's some amazing like guest actors in there as well. I'm looking at like the list on Wikipedia. Ron Perlman, uh, John Ratzenberger, 
Um, who's the other one I saw that I thought was great? Nick Nolte, Joseph Gordon-Levitt. Like, yeah, that, that is some... Rhea Perlman, who doesn't get enough work. Um, Tim Blake Nelson. Yes. Jamila, Jamila. I'm going to stop reading names now, Liz, and let you get back to your segment. I am also going to say, for the benefit of listeners, Sky, Sky and Now TV is how you can watch it in the UK. Ah. So for that month that you decide it's worth taking Now TV, that's the thing to watch. And there's 10 episodes, they're all about an hour long. Um, there is a kind of overarching plot in kind of the, the, you know, the last episode refers back to the first and sets it up for like the next series. I think there will be a future series. Yeah, you should just go and watch it. It's good. Yeah, Natasha Leon's very good. Alison, at, at the time of release, you're back from your guff trip. You've had loads of time to watch films and movies. What's your, um, what's your pick? My pick this week is New Zealand. Hey! New Zealand is a country. It's it's very attractive. It's full of um, lovely and interesting wildlife and lovely people. And you should definitely go there and visit there. And I was there for about 10 days and I had a brilliant time. And I would strongly recommend um, New Zealand. Yes. Um, do I need to say any more about it? It's on the other side of the world. It's quite expensive to get to. Unless you're already in New Zealand, in which case it's right there. Yeah, but in that case, we really are fansplaining to New Zealanders about New Zealand, aren't we? Like, have you heard of this place called New Zealand? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's good. <laughs> At some point, there will be more reportage of New Zealand. After I've had some sleep. So at the moment, my all my reportage is in like huge piles of notes, most of which have been delivered in, in the form of texts to Claire Brawley and um, also some to my husband and to other people. I don't know, John, have I texted you at all? Probably not much. People have had a few texts and and I've got to collect all this stuff. I've been trying not to text you too much because I'm worried I'm interrupting your lovely time. You won't because I'll just, I just only look at my phone when, I'm, when I have time to. It's all right. That's fair. As Alison said last episode, there's nothing quite I've never done anything before or since that was quite like my TAF trip. And it is the only people who really get it are, I think, other people who have done it. I, I should say that I, I have not found a life partner on this guff trip. I just want to make this clear. I mean, Stephen's going to be, given that you were with Stephen for three weeks. I took one with me. We had we had one day off. Stephen travelled with me for three weeks. We We had one day off guff where we kind of, sat around circular quay and and at dinner with like the, the sydney opera house and the and the harbour bridge and and kind of said oh we'll celebrate our 25th wedding anniversary because fun fact our actual 25th wedding anniversary is tomorrow we're going to be um well it's today now apparently but not for him um we're going to be 12,000 miles apart which is almost as far apart as you can get without actually going off planet and that was the Octothought Podcast. And it's goodbye from me. It's goodbye from me. And it's goodbye from me. The theme music for this episode was Fanfare for Space by Kevin MacLeod and Competech.com, used under a Creative Commons Attribution 4.0 license. This podcast will end at the beep. Beep.